What's up, everybody? This is the Bible Dingers Podcast, and we're happy you're listening. I'm Nick. I'm here with Ryan and Mark, and we're excited you're here. Today, on the first episode, we're going to make a case for the Bible. How you doing? How you doing? (laughs) But first, we're going to have some fun, and I'm going to have Mark. What? Why don't you choose two different categories? We're going to start off with a game today. Why don't you start two different categories? I have Bible or not, or true or false. Which one do you want to do? Um, true or false. True or false. So you're going to have to decide whether or not you think this is a fact or not. I'm going to read you a headline and you tell me. So Wait, wasn't that the other category? <laughs> Didn't you say fact or not? No, you said or true tr- or false. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to read you a headline. You're going to tell me if it's true <laughs> or false. You're going to tell me if it's Bible or not. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, guys. Okay. Okay. How you doing? How you doing? Okay. All right, let's go. All I'm right. Ready. Here's the headline. And you can use Ryan as a lifeline if you want, all right? So. I don't know any more than you do. Do you know who Snoop Dogg is? Yeah, yeah. Snoop Dogg takes the stage, tells story of redemption following his it's chart-topping gospel album. So I'm going to read it again. How you doing? Stoop Dog takes the stage, tells story of redemption in Christ, following his chart-topping gospel album. Is this fact or not? Is this real news or fake news? I want to say fake news, but then my inclination is real. Okay, hold on, hold on. Before you tell us the answer, I kind of want to expound on that. Because in my intimate knowledge of Snoop Dogg, he goes which, which goes deep. Yeah. He goes through these phases. For shizzle. He started out with the for shizzle phase where he did like doggy pound and all that. Uh-huh. Then oh. you guys know that he moved into reggae. You remember his name? Yeah, his totally. reggae name? You don't know? He, he turned into Snoop Lion. Oh, uh-huh. I didn't know that was reggae, but yeah, he yeah. changed his name. He changed his name to Snoop Lion and started doing reggae. So I, even though Mark said true and false... <laughs> No, I said my answer is true, even though I want it to be false. Oh, in a way, I I also think it's true. Well, no, I, I yeah, whatever. So you both think that it's true? Yeah. Are you it's sure? It's just crazy enough to be true. Yeah. Are you sure? Yes. No. Well, yes. It's definitely true. Hey, I know my Snoop Lion. Did he change his name again? Especially since we're so heavy into Christian hip hop, I thought that this was an interesting topic. That Snoop Dogg would actually make a gospel chart. Yeah. And that it, it would be like in the top charts for yeah. gospel music. I found it could be crazy. When did that come out? Um in March, I believe. You think he's oh. like Snoop Lamb now? Oof. <laughs> Oof. Well did he change his name? Doing? For real? No, I don't think so. It doesn't say? I don't think he changed his name. What do you think it would be if he did change it? Snoop Lamb of God. Give me <laughs> Give me another truth or fact. You got another one? Um, no, but I got a Bible or not. Okay, well, I want I guess truth we're or fact. That. Yeah, I, I want truth or fact, though. I'd come up with something. No, give me a Bible or not. I, no. I could hit you in the middle of the show with it. All right, so is what? this Bible or not? Who, want, who wants to answer first? I guarantee Wait, I'm going to know the answer. Like, is it in the Bible? Is it in the Bible or is it not in the Bible? Okay. <laughs> All right. I'm ready. Freaking you ready Tunesis, for this? Bro. You ready for this? <laughs> I can't stop thinking about Tunesis. 
<laughs> also, it could be like a weird translation that no one knows. I kind of want to... No, it's not. I kind of want to ask you because I think he would know, but we can go I guarantee Ryan. I know. We can well, go Ryan. Ask me first. I have the Bible right. memorized. So, the whole Bible. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. He's lying. All right. He's not lying. <laughs> You're so the, soundboard happy. You ready? <laughs> Absolutely. I'm ready. Yeah. The end of a matter is better than its beginning. And patience is better than pride. Is this Bible or not? Hmm. That sounds too secular. It, like it that's sounds, a good one. sounds too broad. That sounds like Proverbs to me, though. You want me to read it again? And they do talk about the the end of all things, or not the end of all things, that's, that's Revelation, isn't it? They talk about the end of wisdom, the end of knowledge. Wait, so you don't have the Bible memorized? Well, I've, I only have one translation memorized. This could be a different translation. Mm. Oh, oh, okay. okay I I'm going to say, say no. You're going to say no. So I, I'm, I'm, okay, you're going to say no. Yes. I'm going to say, wait, I'm going to say, <laughs> crap, man. I'm going to say, again? I can read it again. Read it one time. One time. All right. The end of a matter is better than its beginning. That's not in the Bible. That's not in the Bible. It's not in it's the Bible. better? No, it's not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible? Absolutely not. That's your final answer. Yes. And you also said it's not, right? What? It's, it's in Ecclesiastic 7, 8. Ecclesiastics? Hmm. Yep. Is that right after second opinions? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Second opinions. Then it's Ecclesiastics. <laughs> Ecclesiastics with an X. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like that. Ecclesiastes 7, 8. Hmm. Mm. All right. This, it just sounds like one of those, you know, you see on social media, like a backdrop of the sunset, some random quote. Oh, like yeah. a Drake lyric. Yeah, just like, and it doesn't sound I it, it, it stumped me. So I was like, if it stumps me, chances are I'll stump everybody because I'm a genius. You know what I mean? Right. Oh, yeah. Totally. You are. Yeah. Oh, okay. Totally. If you're a such genius a genius and a stud, and a stud, oof! If you're, uh, it's not even self-proclaimed because you just said it. That's right. It's just proclaimed. Are you doing? Okay, so since you're such a genius, why don't you tell us what we're talking about today? Are you drawing a blank right now? What are we talking about? No, you so, don't even know what we're talking about today. You know what? I'm talking about the Bible. Everybody has different opinions about it. And the Bible has been copied and translated a million times, people say. And there's, there's a, especially millennials, mm. th- a lot of millennials think there are a ton of errors that we don't know about. Mm. And they don't think that the Bible is actually accurate. Mm. So there's a big misunderstanding with the way translations work. Right. People think it's like this long telephone game. Exactly. But it's a huge misconception. Exactly. Yeah, we have... Um, we have something called manuscripts, and these are like ancient texts that um, they're basically copies. They're early copies of the Bible from years like 100, from years 110, 120 AD. So they were all written like 30 years after the originals were written. Right, and we don't have, they haven't found the originals. We, we only have copies of the original manuscripts. Correct, yeah. We don't, we don't have the originals, but that's the true for any ancient text you know we don't have or at least the majority right any any text from bc or early ad we really don't have the original we just have close copies 
Um, that's just one argument we're going to talk about today because we're going to be talking about um, we're we're going to give you guys a case for the Bible. Um, I think it's kind of trendy, honestly, to not believe the Bible nowadays. Mm. And in the United States, I can't really speak for other countries. Didn't we throw something up about, on Twitter about that? Yeah, it's talking about um, our age group. If you don't know, um, Mark and I are millennials. I think Nick's a baby boomer, right? That's people that were born. <laughs> According to Mark's statistics, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I am equally up. millennial as all of you. Okay. I'm only, what, a year, a year and a half older than you? Come on, man. You're two years older Stop than me, Stop making me feel so old. You're two years older than me. All right, that's not even that bad. Anyways. That's old. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Because I got like a decade over you. You really yeah. do. Well, how old are you? 29. Oh, bro, that's I'm sick. 22. All right. It's a. It's like a dog year. My, well, my brother's older than you. How you doing? <laughs> anyway. that's, a, that's a good point, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> you could be my brother. <laughs> You are my brother. <laughs> Anyways, this uh, this little study that we threw up on Twitter says 20% of millennials believe that the Bible is the word of God and should be taken literally. 75% of millennials, and this is in the United States. I can't speak for, you know, like Norway or oh, let's talk about the Ivory Coast or anything like that. But in the United States, 75% believe that it is not the word of God. Or it should not be taken literally. Uh, and that's kind of crazy. And I think that's kind of the status quo now. It's just kind of like going with the flow to be an atheist and to doubt um, the Bible being the word of God. So today we kind of want to lay out a few arguments. And we kind of hit on one really early on about um, the manuscripts. And the reason why it's important to talk about this is because people question so often um, if these are the actual words that were written by the authors, you know, did John really write for God so loved the world? You know, wh whatever, whatever it may be in the Bible, people think like Mark said, that it's a big telephone game and that it's just been passed on generation to generation. Yeah, translation now, of a translation. Right. And now we have no idea what the Bible says, but that's just not the case. We have these early manuscripts um, that tell us, you know, what the original said. They're dated back to like 80 AD, 90 AD, 100 AD. Um, and and the, the method that's used to determine how accurate um, an ancient text is is called textual criticism. Basically... It's important. Yeah, it's important. Textual criticism is when you get a uh, kind of a compilation of all the manuscripts that you have and um it's a good word bro thanks bro wow compilation compilation whoa <laughs> ding compilation too boom thanks bro i appreciate that anyway so uh i do know words that have more than two syllables compilation being one of them and so there's like what around five thousand manuscripts for the new testament yeah yeah we'll hit on that in a second um i want to finish Talking about what textual well, criticism that's, that's is. That's the compilation. <laughs> You're correct. Another round of applause for Mark. Thank you. Compilation. Thank you. You're on a roll, Mark. Thank you. <clears throat> Let me explain to you guys what textual criticism is. So basically, you, you have a compilation of oh. manuscripts. Say you have. Are you doing? Say you have ten manuscripts from ancient Israel, 
Say you have 30 from ancient China. And say you have 40 from northern New Jersey. And I have, I have, uh, this is up on the blog, by the way, in a blog post called uh, The Accuracy of the Bible. Or is the Bible accurate or something like that? So you take all these and you compare them to each other. If the manuscripts from ancient Israel and ancient China say, for God so loved the world in John, and the manuscripts from ancient New Jersey say, for God so loved the Yankees, your conclusion can be that the that the original said, for God so loved the world, because the large majority of the manuscripts say, for God so loved the world, and then this isolated group of manuscripts from northern New Jersey say, for God so loved the Yankees. And so I mean, that, God would never love the Yankees, right? Wow. He definitely would. I'm just saying. Nick, I thought you were a Mets guy. What? Do you even know me? <laughs> Your hat kind of looks like a Mets hat. It's yeah, that's definitely what... not. This is polo. Yeah. All right. Anyways. Um, <laughs> so that's how people determine whether an ancient text is accurate to the original. So basically, there's so many copies that you can put them side by side. and You can take out the errors. You you can see how they relate, right? If something right. stands out, you'll notice. that Yeah, that, that doesn't belong there. And that's how we have um, any ancient texts. We, uh, we actually have a chart of a bunch of ancient texts um, that's also up on the blog. And it gives you the time between when the writings were written and the date of the first manuscript that we have on record. Um, that's important. The gap between when it was written and the the date of the first manuscript is important because stuff can stuff can creep its way in there. Errors can find its way in there. A lot of times back in these days, stuff was just passed down by stories. You know, they were passed down orally to their to their children or whatever. Uh, as where today we have everything written down. So those twelve hundred years or fifteen hundred years or whatever it is, between when it was written and the first manuscript is really important. Also, the number of manuscripts that we have is really important mm. because the more manuscripts that you have, the more criticism you can apply to the manuscripts. So if you have three manuscripts, it's really hard to determine what should be in there and what shouldn't be in there because you only have three manuscripts. There's not a lot to, you know, there's not a lot to go off of. If you have a thousand manuscripts, that's different. Because you can see, okay, 900 of these say this and 100 say this. So it's yeah. probably what 900 says. Yeah. And even mm. if you don't have the originals, it's pretty clear to see what the original was. You right. Reconstruct yeah. So if, if our listeners are looking at the chart, let's just be clear what Ryan is talking about. So if you're looking at the chart on the first column, no, the first row, right? Column. That the first column, we see names of authors, philosophers, however you want to call them. And then in the second column, you see how many years were, were between when they were written and when we f saw our first manuscript. And then in the third column, we see how many manuscripts actually came out of that time. And on the fourth column, we see what the percentage of accuracy is. How do we know that these writings are true? Right. Um, do you want to... Nick, do you actually want to go down the list for the listeners who don't have it pulled up and and kind of give us an idea? Sure. So, on the first on the first row, we have Plato. Um, most people would agree that his writings are true, um, and there there were actually I, I find that 
to be a crazy fact because it was 1,200 years between when it was written and when we saw our first manuscript. And we only have seven manuscripts. Mm -hmm. And we're not sure how accurate his writings are. Houdini. Where do they go? <laughs> Come on, guys. You can't lie. You love that sound bite. Yeah, it's pretty good. It'll anyway. On me. So. Yeah, so with... 1,200 years in between when it was actually written and the first manuscript. Uh, that's too long. Me and Nick were actually talking about this yesterday. Say that we wrote something down today in 2018 that, and 1,200 years pass and you have the first copy after 1,200 years. That's year 3,000. And whatever. Three, yeah, yeah, 3,200 yeah. 3, something. something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and yet people are so quick to say, the Bible isn't true, but Plato's writings are like taken like yeah, totally accurate, like totally accurate. And the so so the second name that we have is Caesar, the writings of Caesar, the, the writings Caesar of Caesar salad, yeah, <laughs> the the writings of Caesar salad. Caesar salad has been around. No, no. no. So the writings of Caesar, um, the first manuscript was found between uh, within a thousand years of when it was written and when we first saw our first manuscript, and we only have ten manuscripts. Mm -hmm. And again, we're not sure of that's, how accurate it is. That's like nothing. Yeah, it's nothing. Right. So you, you see the first manuscript a thousand years later, and there's only 10 of them. And there's so many people that say that's true. Mm -hmm. or the next one is quick to believe it. No, yeah, they're so no, quick to believe it. No and they're so quick to say the Bible isn't true. Mm -hmm. Aristotle, um, there was 1400 years between when he wrote That's it. That's insane, dude. And when we saw the first manuscript. And we have a little bit more copies of, of his work. We only have 49. Um, and again, we're not sure of the accuracy. Sophocles is next. There's 1,400 years, the same as Aristotle. But we have a lot more manuscripts. That's 193. But because there's so many years in between, we're unsure of the accuracy. And Homer, Homer and Iliad, um, they were, this is a little bit, more, you know, this is more, second place. Yeah, this is second place from from the New Testament. There was 500 years, and we have 643 manuscripts. So we know that it's 95 percent accurate. Yeah, that's the second most accurate ancient text that we have is the Iliad. Um, we are we're 95 percent sure that these are the actual words that Homer wrote. Mm. And out of all the lists, we have the most controversial, the most the most debated text on the planet, essentially. And that is the New Testament, and it shouldn't be the most debated because there was actually less than a hundred years from when it was written to when we, re when we received the first manuscript, mm -hmm. and we have 5,600 manuscripts. <laughs> Fifty. So we got yeah. seven manuscripts from Plato, 10 from Caesar, 49 from Aristotle, 193 from Sophocles, 643 from Homer. And 5,600 from the New Testament. That's insane. That's not and yet even... people say it's not true. Right. It's 99.5% accurate. Right. And, um, well, the, you know, that 0.5% still is... Um, well, we're going to get into that. Yeah, yeah, we can talk about that in a second. But I do want to hit home that that's just like, there's not even a close comparison to the New Testament. Mm -hmm. I mean, the Iliad is second place. But there's only 643 copies, and there's 500 years in between the original and the first manuscript. We have 5,600 early manuscripts of the New Testament. And on top of that, the, 
the the fact that it's been less than a hundred years between when it was written and our first manuscript is is important because this is what this is what that tells me that people were still alive when these manuscripts were written that were probably around Jesus yeah you know or at least the kids of the people that were around Jesus were still alive so they wouldn't just like let this stuff be distributed when they were actually there and they knew this this didn't happen you know it's like totally. it's as if a I history book was hand account right right so like i was saying it's, it's as if a history book was written and they're reading it in elementary schools and you know it says um george bush was never the president and you'd be like which he wasn't <laughs> but he was oh, he because wasn't? we were oh, okay. because we were alive oh. and and we wouldn't let that text get out there you right. know we'd say yeah. you know you know like get rid of these books it's not historically accurate so there was people around that could deny the New Testament at the time. So that mm-hmm. I think that less than 100 years is really important. I think that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that 0.5% that might trouble you guys, um, we can talk about that right now. There's, what does it mean that the New Testament is 99.5% accurate? Yeah, so there's, um, there's two small portions of Scripture um, that were not... It's debated whether they're actually in the Bible or not. Um, but they're not important. They're they're not. It's it has hard to, to do with doctrine or just like it has historical nothing to fact. do with doctrine. It it's, has nothing to do with foundations of belief. It's it's like a historical account of some kind of piece of information. Yeah, let me pull up. Because um, I remember there's something like in the Old Testament where there was like they got the age of a king wrong, where he was younger than his son in one of the translations. Yeah. So like. You can get something wrong, like say the age of a king, and then it doesn't affect the doctrine, you know, of who Jesus is or mm-hmm. salvation. It's like a historical error. Right. Okay. So the the point five percent might be kind of troubling to people, you know, that desire the Bible to be a hundred percent accurate. And I get that. And don't let this shake your faith. You know, it's not like this is um anything that that affects your salvation it doesn't affect Jesus or anything like that. Well, the point is that it it has to do with like historicity. It's not doctrine, right? Um, so the debate is over how you should translate the Bible. Um, there's there's two camps. There's the camp that says you should go with the majority of the manuscripts. So we have fifty six hundred manuscripts. Fifty five hundred of them say this, and that's so that's what the Bible likely says. Then there's another camp that says that we should go with the earliest manuscripts and what those say. Um, so maybe only a hundred say this, but it predates the other 5,500 manuscripts. So they they would say that those were added in portions. And the two portions that we're talking about are Mark chapter 16 from 9 till the end of the book. And then John chapter 7, verses 53, and it goes all the way to chapter 8, verse 11. Um, that portion of John is the story about the woman who's thrown in front of Jesus, and the Pharisees, you know, test Jesus, and Jesus says, he who's without sin casts the first stone. Yeah. There's a little bit of debate whether or not that's actually in the Bible, um, but it depends on how you think the Bible should be translated, whether you should go with the early manuscripts or whether you should go with the majority of manuscripts. 
Also, um, and this is just, it's just one parable. Right. And it doesn't affect any kind of doctrine, you know? Well, at least it doesn't contradict other doctrine, right. you know? And also, so there's, there's that, and then there's the end of Mark. Um, so chapter 16, verses 9 through 20. And that's kind of talking about um, Jesus telling the disciples um, what they can do now that, now that he's ascending into heaven and now that they're going to be on earth. Um, it says that, you know, they'll be able to drive out demons, speak in tongues, pick up snakes, drink deadly poison, stuff like that. Um, so none of that is talking about salvation. None of that is talking about Jesus. It's not talking about creation or sin or anything like that. Um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't fret necessarily, you know, over these portions of scripture that were not, that are kind of debated in the Bible. Um, but then aren't, isn't this affirmed in Acts when the disciples actually go out? Sort of. We can talk about that later in a different, uh, episode. So that's, so that's one thing. That's the manuscript argument. The New Testament is so close to the original, um, that we know that this is what the authors actually wrote. And that's important. Is it, is it accurate to the original text? Because we want to know if this is actually God's word or not. Because if it's not accurate to the original text, we don't know what's from God. We don't know what's, mm-hmm. you know, people just threw in there. Um, so it's important to talk about, you know, whether it's, it's close to the original or not. Or at least you can easily make the argument it's the most accurate text of antiquity. Right. Of course. Um, but none of that would matter really, if, if it's not historically accurate or if it's not the Word of God. So we're going to go over arguments for that, too. It doesn't matter if this is definitely what the authors wrote, if it's not actually true. You know, if what they wrote is false, it doesn't really matter. Um, Nick, you were talking to me about an app that you saw, right? The yeah, so the, the second argument is, you know, of whether or not the Bible was true or valid or, or accurate is archaeological evidence. And there's a app on the app store for apple i'm not sure about um android users but it's called bible map Uh, originally it was called bible map plus with a plus sign so you can you can search on your app stores for that um basically it it reads through the entire bible and when it comes up with a verse that there's some type of archaeological evidence behind or or findings or whatever it it, it gives you a link to click on the verse and it'll lead you to the findings um and we can go through some of those findings but um yeah so um there's a lot of there was a lot of archaeologists that said that the bible wasn't real because we don't have certain things that the bible talks about in order to prove that they were real um one major character of the Bible, King David, a lot of archaeologists said that he never existed hmm. um, because all there is is biblical, you know, there's only biblical text about him. There's no extra biblical proof that he existed. Um, but we constantly find a story of both archaeologists and scientists kind of catching up with the Bible. So this Bible was written thousands of years ago, and then people just now are discovering, discovering you know, artifacts that prove that, hey, these people did exist hey, this civilization was around. Um, King David was one of those people that um, archaeologists said never existed. But then um, on a dig, somebody found the Tel Dan steel, and a, uh, and, and a, a steel is a monument 
that was erected in those times kind of like it kind of looks like an obelisk and it just marked events or achievements or something like that it was basically a, like a king bragging like hey let's let's put up this big rock that says how awesome i am and all the things i've done it's typical king stuff yeah <laughs> hmm. um so the steel had inscribed on it it said house of david and house is a, a term for monarchy um you know it's not just like talking about <laughs> this is david's house <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah it was it was talking about um this was a king king david so we found extra biblical evidence when archaeologists didn't believe that david ever existed and we, we have other other references to make but i think one of the 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 biggest ones that like drives the bible home is the evidence of sodom and gomorrah i think people really debate that they can't believe that a whole civilization was wiped out with flames and and fire and all that well why don't you tell us about that yeah so there's an archaeologist his name is stephen collins you can google him um he has his own website and he's digging in the biblical location you know the bible kind of gives you coordinates so you know not actual coordinates but in Bible speak, um, it gives you the location of where Sodom was. And Stephen Collins is an archaeologist who is working to find Sodom. And he found it, which is crazy because this is like an ancient city. This is one of the first cities um, in, in the ancient world. Um, it's like, what, maybe 3,000 years old? No, Three, more than 4,000? I'd say 5,000. Hmm. Um. And not only that, it was completely destroyed. Right, right, completely obliterated. So it would be hard to find because of that. Um, so when he looked up where the Bible says it is, there's actually an empty basin right in the spot that the Bible directs us to. And uh, Stephen Collins has been there digging for about 10 years. And one day they found a massive city in ruins under the ground. There's a whole layer of a city under the ground Um and it's just obliterated, just obliterated. I mean, do we need to just recall the story of Sodom and Gomorrah for anyone who doesn't yeah, know? Yeah, for sure. Um, so Sodom and Gomorrah is in Genesis, and basically a very general overview is it was a wicked city and God destroyed it. It said that God sent down flames from heaven and destroyed it, so on and so forth. So that's the very general story of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so anyways, he found a city that was just obliterated on its own level. And what's even more interesting is that they found a massive amount of skeletons that were like completely mangled and destroyed. It's not like regular um, remains that you find just kind of laid in the ground. It was just like bones. Yeah. Everywhere. everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Everywhere. And just mangled. Um, and in even a battle, you know, it's not like typical wounds or bodies that, you know, are just, they're kind of torn apart, but they're still generally together. It was just like, you know, a toe over here and a head over here and just like obliterated. Um, and one of the most interesting things to me that they found is this shard of pottery. And I get, we can put up a blog about this. I can put up pictures and stuff. I have mm, pictures. Cool. They found this shard of pottery that has been melted into glass. And, and it's crazy because they didn't have, you know, they didn't have the technology to make fire burn that hot back in those days like we do now. And it, it closely resembles the sand 
that turned into glass when they were testing the nuclear bomb. And it's crazy that they found this among all these mangled ancient bodies. And to me, that's just crazy evidence that, that Sodom existed and it was destroyed by this, you know, crazy heavenly fire. Yeah. Because we have all these crazy remains. Is, um, is Steve Collins, is he a Christian? Yes, Steve Collins okay. is a Christian. Which, was, m- yeah. Well, I was going to say, if he's not, I'm, I'm curious, like, what his take would be now, but. Yeah, yeah. He is a Christian. Um, he's a professor as well at a Christian college, but, uh. He's primarily an archaeologist. Or, or even so, now that this, you know, this has been found, what do you know, agnostics have to say about this? Yeah, so uh, this is not... Like, how do you refute this? This is not on breaking news <laughs> on your mainstream media, of course. Yeah. Um, because, you know, it's not, it's not status quo. People don't want to believe the Bible. And so it's kind of written off as a quack. Or, you know, this guy, you know, he probably planted that or whatever. Just because... <laughs> Just because, you know, people don't want to believe in the scriptures. And that's that's my favorite piece of evidence. It's not necessarily, you know, the most convincing piece of evidence that the Bible is historically accurate and that archaeologists are catching up to the Bible. There's also, you know, Belshazzar that people didn't believe existed, and then we found, we found evidence of him. People didn't believe that Caiaphas, the high priest, existed, and then we found him in 1990. Um, people didn't believe that Pontius Pilate ever existed, we found him That's in nineteen. Crazy. Yeah, we found him in nineteen sixty one. Um, I mean, he was a government official. Like, yeah, should have been records and everything. Yeah, yeah. People didn't believe it because we didn't have any records. Mm. Oh yeah. Yeah, and then but we found some in nineteen sixty one. We found a dedication stone with his name on it mm. uh, in Israel. Then uh, people also didn't believe that the Hittites existed, um, and then we found we found evidence for that as well. So all that to say that. Archaeology is catching up with the Bible. We already know these things to be true. It's not, it's not believed um, by the majority of the public because you know people want to write it off. But it's true, and people are finding out that things in the Bible are actually historically true. So it's accurate to the original text. We know that. We know that's historically accurate. Um, and now the, the third thing that I think is really important is this, is, is this God's word? Because it could be close to the original writings. It could be historically accurate. But if it's not God's word, who cares? It's just a history book. It's just written by a bunch of dudes. Right. Hmm. Nick, do you want to talk about um, how we know it's God's word? Hold on, hold on, hold on. Before we get into that, I think we should have some fun. Okay. Let's 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 play another Bible or not game just to break up. Thank you because my voice is starting to hurt and my brain. <laughs> so guys, I think it's fun to study and also have fun and have a little break. Let's take a little break and play a Bible or not game. I'm going to read you a quote and you're going to tell me whether or not you think it is the Bible or not. Not. Okay. And though in all lands love is now mingled with grief, it still grows perhaps the greater. What do you think, Mark? One, one more time. And though in all lands, love is now mingled with grief. Wait, in though in all lands? Is that what you said? Yeah. In though. And. And. Though in all lands, love is now mingled with grief. It still grows perhaps the greater. All lands. What does that even mean? And though in all lands, in all areas, <laughs> oh. love is now mingled with grief. It still grows perhaps the greater. You think that's in the Bible or 
not. I said no last time. That's a tough one. I really don't think so. But I'm going to say no again. I, I feel like I know the Bible. And I feel like that's not in the Bible. I might guess maybe Song of Solomon or Ecclesiastes. But uh, I don't think it is. My answer is no. Your answer is no? I want to say yes because I feel like you're tricking me. But I don't think it is. So I'm saying no. I'm saying no. It's not in there. It's the Fellowship of the Ring book too. Hey. Mm, That's what I'm talking about. (laughs) Congratulations, Mark. Thank you. Hit us with number two. All right. So (laughs) don't hit us with number two. Hit (laughs) Hit us with the second question. He is not a man of God. <laughs> All right. Are you ready? Yes. This yeah. is number two. Ooh. Put a knife to thy throat if thou be a man given to appetite. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm going to say yeah. Uh, I'm going to say yeah. That sounds Bible-y. <laughs> Where'd you find this? Come on, what'd you think I found it? What do you think it is? Uh, it's got to be... Put a knife to thy throat, and thou be a man given to appetite. No. Okay, so it's saying, like, kill yourself if you're you're a glutton. I think that's the idea of that. What is that? I uh, I don't think that's in there. First Maccabees? I I hope it's not. (laughs) Because I'm I'm dogging this first. Um, Oh, man. I don't think so. Put a knife to thy throat, if thou be a man given to appetite. It kind of sounds like it would be in there. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to say yes. Yeah, I'm going to say yes. You're going to say yes. Yeah, yeah why not? What's <laughs> <laughs> that, bro? <laughs> that, that, Is that a that yes was, or no? That was Ryan's <laughs> <laughs> Uh it's, it's in Proverbs. No way. Yeah, it's in Proverbs. Yes. So I guess we're going to have to explain this verse now. Eventually. Yeah, that could definitely be on Weird Verse Wednesday. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Shout out to Weird Verse Wednesday. If you guys haven't checked out the blog, we just went over 1 Samuel 18.27. Nick, what's that about? <laughs> Way to put me on blast, man. <laughs> Holy Let's, uh, pull smokes. up the blog. Okay, it's about... Um, did you not read my blog? I did. Hold you up. Just- we have a deeper issue here. Bro, are you not reading the I blogs reading that I put up? I am reading the blogs. Up? I just got so caught what was it about? <laughs> I can't believe I'm you, bro. I'm drawing a blank, bro, because you... you I can't believe you. He's not a man of God. I can't believe you, bro. You got me nervous, man. not a man of God. Okay, yes or no? I did read it. Get that coming out of my face! You're a freaking liar. I definitely liar, read it. You're a freaking liar. I definitely read it. Okay, I read it too. I forgot what the verse I just was. have to remind oh. myself... It's first Samuel. Listen, oh, 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 yeah, yeah, the gifts. Of course, of course I read that. Oh, of course. Bro, you got it pulled up on your screen. No, what are you I talking don't. about? I have oh, yeah, the gifts. I have Twitter. <laughs> I have Twitter pulled That's up. That's not Twitter. That's our website. No, but the Twitter's right here. I don't have the blogs written up. I remember. Okay, in our defense, it's 8 a.m. Yeah, that's true. And we've been here since <laughs> 6. That's a great defense. That would definitely so, hold up in court. Talking about defense, what are the f- defenses do we have of Scripture? <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> Defenses of scripture. Defense. Just a quick scripture. plug to the blog. We went over First Samuel chapter eighteen, verse twenty-seven, and it talks about when David <laughs> gave a funny. I don't, gift. I don't even know if I want to say it. He gave a funny. He gave a very unique funny. I feel gift. better writing it than saying it. But <laughs> he gave two hundred foreskins to King Saul in order to marry King Saul's daughter. So you might be thinking, what is that about? 
Or like, is that what I have to do to get a girl? <laughs> is that why I'm single? <laughs> you never know what you got to do. I don't know. If you listen to the Bible, you might, well, yeah, you might mean, get some chopping, man. I've been taking the Bible's advice. You said get to chopping? <laughs> Bro. Anyways. Um, yeah, so we go over that and we had verse Wednesday. Houdini. Where, where did the questions go? go? <laughs> Come on. Oh my the cat can drive a car. No. Okay. No. <laughs> 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 you were way off the rails, Tootsis. <laughs> calling me Tootsis, bro? Oh, man. You're calling me I mean, we have to understand that this this is a completely different culture right. from ours. Yeah, we so don't have to explain it. Yeah, we encourage you to look on the blog, yeah. no. get interactive with our website. Give it a try. And there was a little plug. Uh, God, what are we what even we're talking, talking about? about? <laughs> Can we get back to the Bible? <laughs> this is the Bible. Houdini. Oh, where did our podcast go? <laughs> oh, the rails, bro. Okay. So, this is how it should be. Yeah. I, th- I posed a question to you. I don't remember it is because we got to talking about foreskin. <laughs> hey, it's biblical. <laughs> what are we doing? We just went. We went. We went off the rail a little bit, but it's it's purely out of entertainment, and okay. we should probably get back on topic. Okay. Yeah. This is absolutely on topic. <laughs> so I talked about. Um, you, we talked about historical, architectural evidence behind the Bible. We talked mm-hmm. about manuscripts. Right. Is, um, it, is it accurate to the original? Is it historically accurate? Now we're talking about fulfilled prophecies. The Bible contains hundreds, even thousands of prophecies that have been fulfilled, including detailed descriptions of events that would later happen to the Jewish people and surrounding nations, as well as prophecies about the life and death of Christ. Why don't you give us some examples, Ryan? Okay, so one that I really want to talk about is in Daniel. Um, it's chapter 2 verses 1 through 45, and this is when Nebuchadnezzar has a dream about a statue, and he calls on Daniel to explain the dream. So the statue that he has in his dream is, it has a head of gold, it has a chest and two arms of silver, it has a belly and thigh of bronze. Shout out to all the bellies out there. Hey. Hey. Shout out to all the thighs out there. I wish we had a sound bite that said, Dad bod. (laughs) Shout out to all the bellies out there. Uh, So he had a belly and thigh of bronze. He had legs of iron, and it had toes of iron and clay. Wait, so toe armor? <laughs> he had toes of iron and clay. So this is what the statue was made up of. It's not some guy that's made up of gold. And yeah, it was a guy oh, wearing uh, toe armor. Yeah, but uh, it's, it's, sick. <laughs> it's a statue um, that Nebuchadnezzar had a dream about, which... Also, in my opinion, that's a whack dream, dude. I mean, okay, it's it's a prophecy, but still, like... Have you ever had a dream where it's just like an object? <laughs> With guys wearing toe yeah. armor? <laughs> Anyways. Yes. So he had a dream about this statue. And so Daniel, he called in to ask him what the dream was about. And Daniel basically said, these are going to be empires. And this is the fulfillment of the prophecy. The head of gold was Nebuchadnezzar. It was his kingdom uh, from 605 to 539 B.C. That was the fulfillment of the prophecy. After that, there's the chest and two arms of silver. That was prophesying about the Medo-Persian Empire. One arm was the Medes and one arm was the Persians. uh, And they were known for taxing their people in silver coins. That's kind of what made them famous. Mm. 
They had a belly. The the statue had a belly and thighs of bronze. Not the um, not the Medo Persians. I'm going on to the next, the next part of the statue. The belly and thighs of bronze was Greece, and they're known for their quote unquote brazen soldiers that wore bronze armor, uh, and that was from 331 to 168 BC. We go on to the legs of iron that he saw in his dream on the statue, and that was Rome. Rome was from 168 BC to 476 AD. And they were a strong empire, just as Daniel described. A lot of a lot of historians nicknamed the Roman Empire the Iron Monarchy of Rome. So those were the legs of iron. Lastly, we have the toes of iron and clay. And that was dissolved Rome. Uh, Rome, if you know if you know history, Rome was defeated by barbarian tribes. It wasn't defeated by like a kingdom. Uh, and it was split up into ten territories with mixed groups of people. And citizens of the old Roman Empire were intertwined with new inhabitants. And that's 476 AD, kind of to now. Um, we're still in that mixed ten toes kind of phase. And ten toes. Yeah. So the interesting thing about this was Daniel was written sometime before 500 BC. And that was close to a thousand years before this all played out all the way. I never knew that. We have other fulfilled prophecies as well. Um, there are actually seven in Ezekiel 26. We can go through those seven and then move on. If you would like more information about these fulfilled prophecies, we would definitely have a blog coming soon on our website. Um, but let's go through those seven um, in Ezekiel 26. Historians date this to as written in 590 BC. Um, in this book, there are seven prophecies concerning the city of Tyre. Um, the first one is that Nebuchadnezzar shall conquer the city. We see that in verse 7 through 11. Um, the second one is that other nations will assist Nebuchadnezzar. We see that in verse 3. And the third one is the city will be made like a bare rock, verse 4 and 14. The fourth is it will become a place for the spreading of fishing nets, verse 5 and 14. The fifth is its stones and timbers will be thrown into the sea, verse 12. The sixth, our other cities will fear greatly at the fall of Tyre. And the seventh, the old city of Tyre will never be rebuilt. We know that all of these things have been fulfilled and they actually did happen. Like I said, if you want more information, we'll be writing a blog, but we will move on from this. There is other evidence that scripture is indeed true. And I think, well, before you, hold on, let me stick on Tyre real quick. Uh, there's, there's a, there's something that I want to hit on. This guy named Peter Stoner, who's the uh, who has a great last name, and he's also the chairman of mathematics and uh, astronomy. <laughs> he's the chairman of mathematics and astronomy at Pasadena City College. Uh, I took these notes a little while ago, so I'm not sure if he still is. Um, but he wrote a book uh, talking about the odds of these prophecies being fulfilled, and he said that those seven prophecies that Nick just hit on uh, concerning the city of Tyre. The odds of those seven almost like really obscure prophecies, like it will be a place for spreading nets. That's, re that's really strange. And and you can see in modern day pictures that it's a fishing town now. Mm. Um, the odds of these prophecies being fulfilled are one in 75 million for these seven prophecies being fulfilled. Uh, and they were. That sounds, well, it reminds me of... Uh, <laughs> The, the fine-tuning of the universe, have you ever yeah. heard those arguments? Yeah, it's almost impossible for it to not 
be God's word. If it's one in 75 million chance that these prophecies came true, and, and it actually gets even better. He talks about in his book that there's three other prophecies. Uh, Ezekiel 44, verses 1 through 3, he talks about the prediction of the closing of the eastern gate. In Micah chapter 3, verse 12, uh, they talk about the plowing of Mount Zion. And in Jeremiah 31, 38 through 40, they talk about the enlargement of Jerusalem according to a prescribed pattern. And it's crazy. The, the, the section in Jeremiah gives you kind of like measurements of how the new Israel will be laid out. So he goes, he, he takes the prophecy being fulfilled about the city of Tyre, and then he takes these other three, the one in Ezekiel, the one in Micah, and the one in Jeremiah, and he calculates the odds of these four sections of prophecy being fulfilled. Nick, do you have that number pulled up? Here it is. The chances of the four prophecies being fulfilled altogether are 1 in 5.76 times 10 to the 59th power. It's ridiculous. <laughs> That's 576 with 59 zeros after it. That's the profit. Hold on. Oh, I'm getting hyped. That's the probability of these four prophecies being fulfilled, right? And Nick, you said earlier that 2,000 have been fulfilled. Mm -hmm. So who knows what the odds are of 2,000 prophecies being fulfilled like that if these four prophecies being fulfilled give give you the odds of 1 in 5.76 times 10 to the 59th power. That's insane. And let's give it up for my man. He did a great job on this book. Uh, you guys go check it out. And um, actually, you know what? All of these things are great. Um, but I think the most important point that we need to talk about, not even important, but the most relatable point in my life is, is the martyr evidence uh-huh. of Scripture. The fact that did the writers believe this was God's word. And, and I know some non-believers will say, oh, no, it's not true or whatever. But if, if still people are unsure that the Bible is accurate, true, and God's word, I think we should rest on the testimony of the martyrs. Martyrs are people that died for their faith. Um, are the, you talking about the apostles? The apostles specifically, yeah. So if, if the disciples made up the story of Jesus' resurrection or conjured up some elaborate hoax... What would possess them to die the horrible, bloody deaths they died? You, do you know how some of the disciples died? It was what, like burning and beheading? Yeah, some, some of them died. They got boiled in oil. <laughs> they got beheaded. They were crucified. <laughs> it's not yeah, good. That's, that's, <laughs> that's definitely a downer moment, you know, <laughs> for sure. Was that appropriate? Yeah, yeah. for sure. <laughs> it, listen, it, you know... It, it, you know, we can make a joke out of it or whatever, but it, it's it's real stuff. If they they would live with Jesus, they they were with him, and and we're not we're not sure. Well, you know, people will just write that off and say they were lunatics. Yeah, you know, the fact that they would be crucified, beheaded, and boiled in oil from some elaborate hoax. It, why would anybody die for something that's fake? Right. So, um, or also, if they were just lunatics, they all, all had like a singular lunatic vision that. Like, yeah. if, if someone's crazy, like, they're crazier in their own world. Right. Like they, they had this they were, same message. But they're not even dying for, like, 
their belief, so to speak, or the, or their faith. They're, they're dying to show you that what they wrote is true. Yeah, they're dying for the historicity of yeah. the stories. They're not dying because they believe the things they wrote. They're saying, they're, hey, we wrote history. Not only is it reflected in our lives, it's reflected in our faith, it's reflected in, in our lives, it's well, reflected the way we treat people. But not only did we write it, it's so true that we'll die for it. Right. And also they lived with Jesus. Yeah, that's right. what I'm saying. It's, it's insane. writing about it. Right. Yeah. So I think... Um, you know, these are just a few arguments that we believe the Bible is the Word of God. We went over um, the manuscript argument, so we know that the Bible is, your English Bible is 99.5% accurate to the original text. So we know also that it is historically accurate. We have evidence that archaeology is catching up with the Bible. We have historical facts in the Bible that um, archaeologists are just now finding evidence for. We know that it is God's word because we have the prophecy evidence. It is an astronomical um, statistic to get over that these 2,000 prophecies that were written before the events happened would be fulfilled. And lastly, we know that the disciples who wrote portions of Scripture believed what they wrote. We know that they uh, were willing to die for what they wrote. So I think these are some solid evidences to prove that your Bible is accurate and it's the Word of God. So we know what, we, what we're reading is true. We know that the Bible is accurate. And we wanted to lay the, the, the groundwork for you guys so that you know that when we go through every book of the Bible, that we're not basically like studying fluff. We know that what we're studying is... It has some historical value and that it's completely true. It's completely inerrant. And um, we wanted to just start from here and move on. Throughout our next episodes, we will be actually discussing an in-depth study of each book of the Bible. Yeah. So we wanted to lay a groundwork for you guys so that you feel confident uh, that what we're going over with you is fact, that it's not, you know, a fairy tale or whatever. Mm-hmm. So... We're thankful for you guys for listening. We hope that you guys learned something today. We hope that you had that ding moment today with us. Uh, We're praying for you guys. We love you guys. And thank you. And ding on.